Amen. Uh, everybody, if, if you did not get uh, a survey and an envelope and a blank piece of small paper, lift your hand so they can get them to you. Lift their hand. Uh, where, yeah, just, just hold it up until he gets that uh, to you. Uh, the surveys, uh, don't put your name on them. Uh, don't put your name on the envelope. Uh, you can turn those in today after class. Just drop them in that box. You can turn them in next week. If you turn them in today, I'm not going to open them. I'm not going to open them until after uh, next Sunday. I want you to be able to not uh, just fill them out in what is seemingly anonymous. Uh, if I get three of them today, I'm not going to go open three of them uh, after watching who put them in there. I, it's completely anonymous, and uh, it's designed to be that way. Uh, just fill those out, fill those out honestly. I obviously don't care if you talk about your answers with your spouse or fiance after you fill them out. But if I get, uh, you know, I, I won't know this, but if two of them are in the same handwriting, that's a little suspicious. Uh, all right. And, and, and so it's just in order for you to be anonymous, what I hope you will figure out very quickly in this class, this is not a class for kids. This is not a class for teenagers. We're going to be dealing with adult married subjects, and uh, we're going to have to deal them with them as adults. If you don't want to hear adult subjects, subjects that are actually the reasons we have disagreements and uh, issues in our marriage, you're in the wrong spot. Uh, I, I want to help you. I, I really do. I uh, want you to start off with get two places in your Bible. Get Genesis chapter 2 and uh, Matthew chapter uh, 19. Genesis 2. In Matthew uh, 19, um, you know, basically, uh, I, I guess probably everybody in here knows uh, me to some degree, um, but, but for those of you who don't know me well, uh, that's my wife in, in the second row. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law are over there. Uh, I mean, I've been married, I'll be 39 years uh, this Friday, and uh, I can tell you honestly, I'm happier in marriage today than the day we were married. I love my wife more today than the day we married 39 years ago. Um, we have three uh, grown children. Uh, they're now 37, 35, and uh, Caleb will turn 33 this Thursday. Um, we have eight grandchildren. The oldest two uh, turned five last month. And um, I told the guys in the office uh, this week, or last week, because I'm on vacation this week, I said I may have failed on a lot of things, but I spent my life, I focused on two things, and two things only, uh, doing the ministry God called me to do, and my family. Uh, I, I <laughs> fully believe in that. Uh, listen, I worked hard in ministry, but my wife did not have an absent husband. Our children did not have an absent dad. Uh, I was never anywhere trying to make a name for myself. Um, I feel very passionately about what we're here doing. Um, when my wife and I were saved, well, it was 39 years ago, uh, I got saved five weeks uh, before we got married, after we dated for five years as lost people. And um, both of us, she got saved a couple months after we got married, and then we were baptized together. Um, we both had this same desire. 
we wanted uh, a good marriage and healthy home. Uh, now, both of us were fortunate. We come from good homes. Our parents stayed together. But neither one of us come from a home where we would say, wow, you know what? I want a marriage like my mom and dad had. Um, I have a lot of passion for doing this. This is why we do it every other year. This is the ninth time I've taught this class. You know, I teach uh, parenting uh, for the same reason every other summer. Uh, I believe there's a lot of people like Sharon and I. We wanted a good marriage. We wanted to be good parents. We just really didn't know how. We had not seen it. We did not know anything about it. And, uh, and that's why I do that. And, and uh, I hope that's why you're here. Uh, I am not a professional counselor. Uh, I have, I don't know how many premarital counseling sessions I've had, 60, 70, 80, I don't know. Uh, at one point, I went down our roster and looked at how many couples in the church I had done And I'm somebody who has a home. I hope your goal will, I hope your goal will be simply this. I want to have the kind of marriage that my children will one day say, I want a marriage like mom and dad had. I hope your goal is simply this, for your child to be able to say, I want to treat my spouse like I watched my mom and dad treat each other. I want to marry somebody who will treat me like I watch them treat each other. Remember, none of us chose a home into which we were born. None of us. All of us choose what we pass on. And I full well realize that most people sitting in here this morning can't say that. I want a marriage like my mom and dad had. I want to treat my spouse like I watch them treat each other. I want somebody to treat me like I watch them. I get it. I get most people can't do that. But, but listen, that's our goal. To give our children either what we had because what we had was good or to give our children something different and better than what we had. And uh, I don't pretend to have all the answers. Uh, we're going to talk about Bible principles, because Bible principles, when we rightly apply them, they apply in every culture, they apply in every age, and the way, and, and again, quite frankly, the way Sharon and I apply those principles might not be exactly the way you do. You, you know, these, God gives these things in principles because there's a lot of variety among us in, in our strengths and weaknesses and our personalities and, and natural dispositions. But regardless of what those are, within those principles, we need to apply these. And, and kind of just say over the years, the more Sharon and I applied these, the better our marriage has become. I, I can 100% guarantee you this. You will make your marriage better if you apply the things we talk about in this class. 100% guarantee. I, I get it. Uh, we, we have people who've been deeply hurt here. We have people who are not married yet here. We have people who've had, going through a rough patch and they're married. We have people that everything's just fine. I, I am not presuming where you are in life or in your situation. All I'm simply saying is that the author of marriage has something that will help all of us and I want you to get that in this class. Uh, up here, there's some stacks of books. There's three books. Just by virtue of being in the class, our church wants to give you one of these books. Uh, they're, they're expensive books. 
if you have not read any of these books, I would read this book first, His Needs, Her Needs. While on the surface it seems like, well, that's just a book about sex. No, it's not. It's a book that will help you look at things like your spouse looks at things. One of the most difficult transitions we make in adult life and in marriage life is to understand my spouse doesn't look at everything like I do. And you will really help yourself just to understand your spouse's perspective on situations. Uh, That's a good book. I would read that one first if you haven't read any of those. Uh, If you've read that one, I would read this one next. Uh, Love and Respect. Just an outstanding book. This is especially a good book, I believe, for women. Uh, In the church, we hear a lot more about a husband unconditionally loving his wife than we do about uh, a wife unconditionally reverencing or respecting her husband. And it's just very thoughtful, uh, well-done uh, book. These are also in a bookstore. One of those is free just by virtue of being in a class. If you've read those two, I would read this one. Now, to be honest with you, this is not uh, like if you're somebody, m- most Sharon and I are not really the kind of people who like just sitting around talking about our emotions. Uh, some people do. Uh, if somebody's doing that, it generally will be a woman, but there's some men that like to talk about them too. If you're a man that likes to talk about your emotions and have a wife that likes to talk about her emotions, and you've read those other two books, this is a good book. Uh, It also has just some interesting uh, things that are just very helpful uh, in there. Listen, the Bible's the only book that's 100% accurate. And so, so we start there, and all those books are is taking Bible principles and applying them in, in more detail to help you. And, and so you can't take the Bible like eating fish, where you eat the meat and leave the bones. You take the Bible. But when you read a book, uh, you know, sometimes in our bookstores like this, uh, you know, some of the books in there, they're all helpful books, but some of them, you know what, there's some stuff you need to leave behind. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, we're adults. Uh, we're not children. Uh, you should be in Genesis uh, chapter 2. Uh, before we start uh, in the Bible, I want you to think about a, a couple of things. Uh, first off, about 99% of people that walk down an aisle uh, and get married, they love one another. And they believe their marriage will last. But 50% of them, they say, divorce. Probably 99% of people that walk down an aisle, they know that 50% of marriages allegedly uh, end in divorce, but they believe their marriage is going to be one of them that will last. But still allegedly 50% divorce. Now I'm told that amongst biblical Christianity, when someone is a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night Christian, that divorce rate is more like 10%. Uh, now, again, who they're serving, serving, I don't know. I would say, in my experience, though I have seen committed Christian people uh, divorce, it's very rare. It's nowhere near 50%. Uh, so the bottom line to that is it's obvious that, you know what, it takes more than loving good intentions to, to have your marriage last. Everybody starts with loving good intentions. It must take more. And so uh, I want to plant a couple thoughts deeply in your heart. We're going to repeat these because I want you to walk away with these when we're done. Here's the first thing. Number one, nothing can be taken back that's done. What's done is done. 
I'll repeat these every time. Here's number two. All we can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, they can change. Here's number three. If you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day, you won't get out in a day. But by the grace of God, you, you, things can be better. Here's number four. There's only one person in this world you can control. And focus on that one. If you're here because you want your spouse to hear some things, you're already starting out in the wrong way. All right? Uh, focus on the one person you can control. You know what I've learned uh, after 39 years of marriage is that the better job I do at being the husband I'm supposed to be, somehow, some way, my wife does better. Here's the fifth thing. There's always hope as long as God is involved. Uh, God is love. You may be here and say, I don't love him anymore. Listen, if God's involved, you can love again. You might have decided, you know what, I never really loved him. Listen, if God's involved, you can begin to love. God is love. Uh, here's number six. No one's assured to have a good home if you come from a good, good home. Here's number seven. No one's assured to have a broken home if you come from a broken home. And here's the last thing, number eight. The person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. If you're newly married, this may seem crazy to you. If you've been married uh, a few years, uh, you don't shake your head or lift your hand, but you're going to have some moment where you say to yourself, did I marry the right person? Uh, the person to whom you're married now is the right person. <laughs> uh, listen, marriages start for all kinds of reasons, and some of them aren't good. I mean, sometimes marriages start because you've been sexually active and you just say, well, at least I'm going to marry the person. Other times, uh, people are in an impressive home environment. They just want out of home. Sometimes marriages start and you look back and you say, wow, you know what? I was so naive. I did not know myself. I did not really know what was out there. And here I am married. Uh, I mean, marriages start, sometimes somebody's pregnant. You say, well, at least we're going to get married. By the way, if you do that, it's not because you came to talk to me, because I would tell you making a second mistake and adding a bad marriage to a bad moral decision is not going to help anybody. Marriages start for all kinds of reasons that are not good, but the person to whom you're married now is the right person, and you can love Begin to love, love again, love more than you love now. And so when we think about marriage, the key to understanding all of marriage is the fact that God is the author of marriage. And so in order to understand marriage, that's why you should be in Genesis 2 and, and Matthew 19. And I am planning to be somewhat short today to give you a little bit of time to work on those uh, surveys. Uh, Matthew, uh, Genesis chapter 2, let's go back to the beginning. Verse 18, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make an help meet for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh and they were both naked 
the man and his wife, and were not uh, ashamed. Uh, notice the observation that God was the one who made the observation that it was not good for Adam to be alone in verse 18. It's not good that the man should be alone. By the way, technically, Adam was not alone. Uh, God was there. There were lots of different pairs of, of animals. He named them. I mean, understand, Adam was not some knuckle-dragger like we think of when we falsely believe that evolutionary tree of uh, human evolution. I mean, Adam was intelligent. Adam had a language. Adam was creative. I mean, how else would you communicate with God and name all the beasts of the field? Adam was very bright and creative. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is God knew that Adam would not be happy alone, but Adam didn't know that. And so in order for Adam to realize that he wouldn't be happy alone, uh, God brought all these other pairs of animals for Adam to name. And, you know, it gets to the end of the day, and Adam's thinking to himself, wow, they've all got somebody, and I don't have somebody. You see, listen, despite having a right relationship with God and a good understanding of nature around him, Adam needed someone special to be emotionally and physically complete. And by the way, it's still generally true today. You watch older folks uh, who have something happen to their spouse. Most of the time, uh, women will do much better alone than men. Not always, but generally. We see also that God was the one who designed Eve to complete and help Adam, a helpful counterpart. That's what he says, I will make, in verse 18, I'll make him and help me for him, a helpful counterpart. Now think about this. Eve was the most beautiful and unique and complex creature in all of creation. See, if we were to study this, we would learn that Adam and every other animal, they're made from the dirt. But only Eve was made from Adam's rib. Everything else was made from the dirt. And if you study creation week, it's an increasing uh, order of complexity as you go through it. I mean, God made the earth. He made light. He made dry land and plants. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. He made the fishes and the birds. He made the animals. He made man, and then he made woman. And so the most complicated creature in the entire world, complicated and unique, is a woman. By the way, I didn't say that to be negative, but I think everybody here probably understands, if you've been married any length of time, your wife is probably a little more complicated than you. By the way, uh, it's still generally true today that most women are most fulfilled being in helpmate, coming alongside of someone. Unfortunately, most of the time, that becomes their children rather than their husband. Uh, Adam was incomplete without Eve, and Eve found her purpose in life helping and being with and completing Adam. Now, almost immediately after creation, Adam and Eve say their uh, marriage vows in verses 23 and 24. Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Uh, you should be in Matthew 19, but notice, uh, according to verse 23, who said those words? What's it say? Adam. Adam said those words. Matthew chapter 19. Keep Genesis 2. We'll be back there in a minute. Notice in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus uh, 
In verse 3 of Matthew 19, the Pharisees also came unto him, tenting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, by the way, there was a dispute in Jesus' day whether uh, a man had the right to put his wife away for any cause. She burned the biscuits. Or whether he should only be able to put her aside for some big cause. And what they're doing is they're trying to involve Jesus in this cultural conflict, and he basically says, neither of you are right because of the way God started things. Verse 4, and he answered and he said to them, have you not read? By the way, Jesus expected them to know the Bible. Have you not read that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female? And, and so who made them? God made them. They were not evolved. Uh, male and female, verse 5, and, he, and, and said, God said, For this cause shall man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be uh, one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Notice Jesus attributes the words in verse 5, For this cause shall man leave his father, uh, to verse 4, he which made them, he attributes those words to God. Now that could mean that Jesus is just saying God wrote that down in Genesis. Now I personally believe uh, what happened was uh, marriage vows. And God said, uh, basically, uh, the words that Adam had said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then Adam repeated God's words. And he went to Eve and said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother. I believe they're the first wedding vows. If you want to believe the other way, that's fine. Either way, God said them and Adam said them. Uh, now, if you're back in Genesis, it's kind of interesting following this first wedding ceremony uh, that uh, God called them both by Adam's name. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Uh, listen, a wife taking her husband's name, that's not a cultural tradition. Uh, that was something God started from the beginning. Now, you may bristle against it, but understanding, uh, understanding this, uh, you're bristling against the way God designed marriage. Which brings up a good question. What's the point of going back to the beginning when we start our class on marriage? It's simple. I mean, God's the author of marriage. Society didn't start marriage. Government didn't start marriage. Some controlling man didn't start marriage. Some romantic woman didn't start marriage. They didn't start marriage to get better tax uh, advantages. Listen, God started marriage. And I just want to remind you, God is good. God is love. God didn't start marriage because he intended it to be a ball and chain and the old lady and the old man. God didn't start it like that. He started it because his intention was that it would be good for everybody involved who chose to do marriage his way. Um, this is a technical question. What does this DVD say? I ate two donuts. I ate two donuts? This morning. This morning. Um, let me ask you a question. Can I communicate to someone writing a message 
with a black marker on a DVD. Can I communicate? Did I just communicate about my eating two donuts this morning? Let me ask you a question. Is that the most effective way for this to communicate? Uh, listen, somebody designed this. And they designed it to communicate information in a manner other than what's writing on it. And while I can communicate some writing on this, when something is used the way it was designed by the person who made it, it will always be most effective. And hear me when I say, your marriage will never be what you, <laughs> what, what you wish for marriage. Listen, everybody in marriage, you want love, you want security, you, you, you want a place of refuge, you want somebody you can talk to and share life with, you, you want someplace you will never get that doing marriage your way if you want all that God designed and intended in marriage you are going to have to like the creator of this DVD you're going to have to do it God's way which really opens up the whole question of what is God's intention for marriage how does he want it to be done I do not believe God intended everybody to be married I do believe God intended some people to be single all their life. I believe that's God's plan for their life. But for those who are married and those who God intended to be married, listen, the great question on your mind and my mind ought to simply be this. How does God want me to do marriage? I want the love. I want the security. I want the acceptance that God intended in that institution. What do I need to put in to get that? How did God start marriage? Uh, a man and a woman. I know you've heard this a billion times. He started with Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Uh, listen, I don't care how many votes our culture takes. Have you ever noticed, isn't it just a weird observation? Why do people in Hollywood get married for the sixth time? Why do people, why do lesbians and homosexuals, why do they want to be married? Maybe there's something inherent in the human conscience that values the institution of marriage. God started it with a man and a woman. God started with a priority in their relationship instead of the parent-child relationship. Listen, when God said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, understand God was giving up something. God was giving up some time with Adam. God was giving up some emotional relationship with Adam. God was giving up something when he said, hey, I'm starting this for you good. I am giving up something I had with you before for your good. We know from that our relationship with our spouse should be the highest priority human relationship we had. We also know God started their vows with cleaving uh, together, not to be put asunder by any creature, according to Jesus in Matthew 19.6. Uh, that means it was started to be a lifelong commitment. I, I get it. Uh, some people in here, people in our church, haven't had that happen. Listen, I'm here to help you have a good relationship with the person you're married to now. I can't change your yesterdays any more than you. My, my job is not to change your yesterdays nor to belittle you for them. My job is to find people wherever they are when I find them and help them 
take whatever their next step is to have a life that pleases God and that's fulfilling. Uh, as much as we may not like that, uh, God said, uh, go back to those vows there in verse 24 of Genesis 2. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Notice that's future tense. God intended the sexual relationship to begin after marriage. See, marriage is a man and woman sincerely committing themselves to one another before God to stay together for life. That, that's what it is. Now, some people may add to that some kind of government regulation because in the Jewish society there was a letter of divorcement. Uh, and, and we're not going to talk about that in, in, in this class, but 100% certain a marriage commitment is a man and a woman together before God saying, Hey, you and me, forever, for life, better, worse, richer, poor, sickness, health. That's what marriage is. Listen, getting married in a church doesn't make your wedding valid. I do prefer church weddings, but listen, I marry people in all kinds of places. Um, what makes a, a marriage valid is a man and a woman committing themselves before God to stay together for life. And in that verse we just read, our lesson today is the two foundational principles for marriage. And they're in the vows. Notice in verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. That's the first marriage principle. You must leave your parents to have a healthy marriage. I'm not talking about some temporary hardship where, where, where you're at their house. I'm not talking about that, but a healthy marriage leaves the parents. Listen, it's obvious. It's one of the Ten Commandments to honor our parents all our life. Uh, and so you're supposed to honor them all your life. But listen, your marriage, your husband-wife relationship, that should be the most important relationship you have. Listen, sometimes adult parents struggle against that because they never... Uh, had any healthy hobbies and never developed their own relationship. Sometimes adult children struggle with that. Uh, every time I teach this class, I'll get some questions sometime through this or in the initial survey. Uh, they call their mom and dad every day instead of tell, talk, talking to me. They tell their mom things they don't tell me. Uh, <laughs> They, uh, her, her mother uh, is involved in everything that goes on in our house. Uh, we don't have any life of our own. Our parents pressure us to only be with them. Listen, this unhealthy failure to leave father, mother, it is more common in the church than in the world. Remember, Leave doesn't mean no relationship. Leave doesn't mean don't honor. That's not what it means. It means your relationship with your spouse is the most important earthly relationship you have. You will never have the right kind of healthy marriage if you don't leave your parents. You can be angry with me. This is not a reflection on your parents. Listen, how good was Adam's parent? <laughs> Adam's father was a perfect father has nothing to do with how good the parents are. It has everything to do with a healthy marriage. 
Uh, but there's a second basic principle. Leave your father and mother. Uh, verse 24 uh, says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. To cleave means to hold on to, to cling to. It's not enough to leave your father and mother if you don't cleave to your spouse. It's both prongs. You leave your father and mother and you cleave to your spouse. You cling to, you hold on to, you stay close to. Listen, that is, means that's an investment of your time. That means that's an investment of your heart. That means the friends you had before, especially if they were single friends, um, that should change everything. You cleave to your spouse. Our Creator designed marriage to be the highest priority earthly relationship we have. That doesn't mean you don't have time for God. It doesn't mean you don't have time for ministry. It doesn't mean you don't have time for friends. I hate it when people say that stupid stuff. Listen, you, you have time for all kinds of things. Uh, in fact, all those kinds of things get, make you a balanced person. But there, though there are a lot of healthy things for life, your marriage is top behind God. So over the next 13 weeks, issue by issue, we are going to be going through what our Creator has taught us to put in a marriage to fulfill us like He intended marriage to fulfill us. Listen, everybody here, you want security, you want love, you want trust, you want fulfillment. But the average person wants it their way. You will not get those things doing things your way. Uh, we're going to talk about expectations. We're going to talk about roles in the home. We're going to talk about a husband-wife physical relationship. We're going to talk about communication. We're going to talk about fair fighting. Uh, my wife is here. My son and daughter-in-law is here. Uh, I'd say it's over 30 years since anybody's raised their voice in our house. Uh, they lived with us for 15 months or something. We disagree all the time, constantly. Everybody does. See, see, if your goal is no disagreements, that's a dumb goal. You're two different human beings. How we disagree when we disagree makes all the difference in the world. We're going to talk about fair fighting. We're going to talk about conflict with family. We're going to talk about growing apart. You say, we're not even married yet. Uh, how are we going to grow apart? Uh, listen, I can't tell you over the years I ha how many people uh, come to me and say, well, we've just grown apart. I'm not going to say what I respond. But uh, you should have all those uh, surveys uh, you should have those little pieces of paper. What those for, I will pass those out every week. And what I want you to do is I want you to write something on there every week. Uh, it's for you to be able to turn in an, an anonymous question about the lesson you just heard. And then each week I will begin with questions that were turned in. You say, why do you want me to write something? I don't have any questions because I want you... Whoever has questions, be able to turn them in anonymously. I don't care if you're right. I can't believe you love those bugs. 
Uh, I don't care if you believe, oh, wow, why do you bother getting a haircut? You hardly have any. I, I mean, whatever you put on there is good. Write something. I, I don't know, write XOXOXOXO. Is that hugs and kisses? I mean, whatever you, you write on there, write something on there. Fold it in half, not in 16 parts, and drop it in that box. And um, do those surveys. You, you know, I, I've done this class nine times. I know some of you, ah, I don't want to do that survey. Please. Take the time. A lot of times it'll become part of our lessons. And it's nice to be able to say, wow, you know what? Two-thirds of the people that served, surveyed in this class, they pushed their spouse when they disagreed. You know what? Listen, just because everybody else does it, it doesn't make it right. But when we learn that other people do it, it helps us understand, you know what? My struggles are not as unique as I think they are. Uh, please uh, do that. You have two minutes. Um, God bless you. You're dismissed. Write a question, comment, snide remark, anything. Uh, if you have friends or family, it's not too late to start next week. Uh, does anybody need one of these to give to somebody? I've got a few of them up here. Here. Yeah, it's not too late to start next week. Did I say God bless you? You're dismissed already. All right. Well, then I'm not repeating it. <laughs>